The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have Those are the sounds of Montreal. Water in the canal, Atwater Market, the Metro, and a street performer. I recorded those sounds on a recent trip to the French-speaking second-largest city in Canada. When I travel to other cities, I often play a little game. I ask, how does this city connect with Anchorage? So what is the connection between Montreal, Quebec, and Anchorage, Alaska? On the surface, it might appear that the two cities don't have much in common at all. Montreal boasts a population of over 4 million, while Anchorage is just under 300,000. While both are winter cities, Anchorage sits a great deal further north. On the streets of Montreal, French dominates, and in Anchorage, it's English. One is in Canada, and the other is in the U.S. One similarity is that both are passionately independent places in states and provinces that have discussed leaving their country, though Quebec was quite a bit more serious about making that happen. But that's not the connection I want to explore. The connection between Anchorage and Montreal can be found in the largest private employer in Alaska, 
a fixture in the state for over 120 years and in Anchorage going back to 1939. Since 1981, the cause of Emile Travenier Gamelan has been advocating for sainthood for this Catholic nun. She has currently made it through three of the four stages needed for canonization, the process for becoming a saint. But who was Emile Travenier Gamelan, and what does she have to do with Anchorage? Emile Travenier was born February 19, 1800 in Montreal, Quebec. As a girl, she saw her mother never turn away a beggar at the door empty-handed, despite the family's limited resources. Emile endured many deaths as a child. Nine of her siblings died early in life. Her mother passed away when she was four, and her father when she was 14. After that, she was raised in a Catholic boarding school. The specter of death also followed her into her young adult years. She married John Baptiste Gamelin, a 50-year-old local orchard owner, at age 23. Two of their three sons died as toddlers, and after just four years of marriage, her husband passed away as well. Not long after, her remaining son also died. In her mourning and pain over the loss of her family, Emile reached out to the church. A priest advised her to pray to Mary, the mother of sorrows, and this proved to be a profound experience. According to the Sisters of Providence website, this meditation kindled a deep devotion that filled her with strength and courage. How could she possibly turn down any sacrifice after contemplating the sorrows of Mary and the sufferings of Jesus? She felt called to manifest trust in God's providence and moved by the compassion of the Mother of Sorrows to reach out to the most destitute. Charitable works consoled her in her sufferings and gave new meaning to her life. After that revelation, Emile devoted herself to the service of the elderly, poor, orphans, prisoners, and the outcasts of society. In February of 1842, she pledged her life to the service of God and to those in need via private vows. Around that same time, Ignis Boucher, Bishop of Montreal, had reached out to the Sisters of Charity from France to begin a work in Montreal. After they refused, the bishop and Emile started a community of sisters in 1843. Emile was the first to take vows and was the first superior of the Daughters of Charity, Servants of the Poor, who are more popularly known as the Sisters of Providence. She continued to serve the poor until her death, just seven years later, in 1851. Five years after Gamelin's death, in 1856, Bishop A.M.A. A. Blanchett requested members of the Sisters of Providence to serve in Western Canada. Five sisters traveled to Fort Vancouver, Washington Territory to serve both settlers and natives. One history of the sisters reported that by 1900, the order had established 29 hospitals, schools, orphanages, homes for the aged, shelters for the mentally ill, and Indian schools.
1902, the gold rush was on in Nome, Alaska. The rush was sparked by reports of some of the largest nuggets ever recorded being found in that location in northern Alaska. By 1900, the town had swelled to 10,000 people. The town lacked much organization and began looking for outside help. Two Catholic priests arrived during the summer of 1901 and soon were in contact with the Sisters of Providence, requesting that they establish a hospital in the boomtown. During the summer of 1902, in the midst of a smallpox outbreak, the sisters arrived in Nome. They quickly acquired a two-story building and opened Holy Cross Hospital. The sisters were well-received in Nome. The Nome News in October 1905 reported, In reviewing the many features of local life which go to comprise the whole, a short tribute to the sisters of Holy Cross Hospital should certainly not be forgotten. In this remote region, where men are far from home, the establishment of such a refuge in time of sickness has found itself to be a source of incalculable benefit to the population. When men are stricken with illness or hurt in the course of their labors, and when loving hands are far away, the doors of Holy Cross Hospital are ever open to receive them. There, the best medical skill of the district and the trained, gentle attention of the nursing sisters combine to alleviate the suffering and to bring back the departed health. The work of these ladies is unrewarded. From morning till night and from night till morning, they busy themselves around the cots of the sick and the dying, and no earthly return is obtained or expected. Nome has nothing to complain of in this respect, and the presence of such a splendid institution is one of the most satisfactory facts connected to our local life. Soon the sisters had expanded their presence in Alaska. In 1910, the Sisters of Providence took over the operation of St. Joseph Hospital in Fairbanks. During the 1930s, St. Joseph was known as the most modern hospital in the territory. In 1935, the Anchorage Times reported that a much larger hospital with more conveniences is sorely needed for the city of Anchorage. One year later, the Sisters of Providence announced their intention to establish a hospital. In 1939, the 52-bed Providence Hospital was opened in downtown Anchorage at 9th Avenue and L Street. Find a sweet man like me. 
The sisters didn't just establish a hospital in Anchorage, but also a Catholic junior high school, the Mary Conrad Center for Seniors in Need of Care, and Providence House, which provides patients' families from out of town a place to stay close to the hospital. In the 1960s, Providence Hospital moved out of downtown to the Goose Lake area, where its sprawling complex sits today. Over the years, the hospital has expanded to meet the needs of the growing city. The Sisters of Providence no longer have an active presence in Anchorage. The digital archives of the Sisters of Providence in Seattle has a photo titled, Farewell Ritual Closing the Sisters of Providence Convent, Providence Alaska Medical Center, Anchorage, Alaska, 2011. Other than that, I discovered little that marked the passing of this important institution in Anchorage. But the legacy of the Sisters lives on. When you walk into the main entrance of Providence Hospital today, you're greeted by a statue of a woman in a habit handing out bread. It's the statue of Emile Gamelin. The plaque at the base of the statue displays a quote from her that reads, I have prayed that you may always love the poor and that peace and unity may ever be preserved among you. The statue is a fitting tribute to the mission of the Sisters of Providence in Anchorage and in Alaska. It is also the link that connects Anchorage to Montreal. For more on the history of hospitals in Anchorage and access to healthcare in our city, please listen to Season 1, Episodes 11 and 12 of this podcast. You'll be glad you did. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. When I die, I want you to dress me in straight leg shoes, box back coat and a studs and hat. Put a $20 gold piece on my watch chain So the boys will know that I died standing pat Anchorage City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. 
The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner. Monica Lettner.